0: My specialty is, uh, I study romantic love. I and my colleagues have put 49 people who are madly in love into a functional MRI brain scanner (laughs) and studied some of the brain circuitry of it. Uh, 17 who had just fallen in love, Uh, 15 who had um, um, just been rejected in love, And um, most recently, 17 who report that they're still in love after an average of 21 years of marriage. So that's really what uh, I study, but I was invited to see if I can't integrate that with art, which I think is uh, my assignment and what I'm going to attempt to do. (laughs) Uh, As a young man, Darwin was annoyed at much of what he saw in nature. Colored stripes, tufts of hair, pendulous noses. He saw these appendages as cumbersome, as metabolically expensive. They attracted parasites, and foremost, they were purposeless. They undermined his theory that all traits evolved for a purpose. He was particularly annoyed at the peacock's tail. He once wrote to his son, the sight of a feather in a peacock's tail, every time I gaze upon it, makes me sick. The puzzle finally galvanized him to propose his theory of sexual selection. He came to think that some traits evolved not to survive another day, but simply to play and win the mating game. Some, some traits evolved so that members of one sex could compete with one another to win the opposite sex, what has come known as intrasexual selection. Other traits evolved so that individuals uh, could attract a member of the opposite sex. This is a bald wakari, uh, a South American uh, monkey. Um, females think that red face is wildly attractive, uh, uh, the probably because it's built by testosterone, just the way the red breast of a, a robin is built by testosterone in the spring. And in fact, we're not the only they're not the only ones who are attracted to testosterone. <laughs> 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 The very strong human jaw, the very heavy brow ridges, the high forehead are also built by testosterone and are extremely attractive to women. And recently, in 19, uh, in 2000, uh, Jeffrey Miller proposed that humans evolved a whole lot of other ornaments to attract a mate. All kinds of talents, he thought, evolved not by daylight, but by moonlight. Things like our extreme ability for poetry, our musical skills, our, our songs and dances, our ability to tell stories and dramas, our drawings and our paintings, our architectural ability, and many other things he reasoned evolved largely for the mating game. He reasoned that other animals didn't need these abilities to survive another day, but that those ancestors of ours who could speak poetically, create beautiful music, dance nimbly, Draw what they saw, were regarded as more attractive, and that these talented men and women produced more babies, passed on more of their DNA, and these human capacities became inscribed. This drive for art became inscribed in our genetic code. Ever since Darwin proposed the idea of mate choice, scientists have exam- been examining traits that animals have evolved to attract a mate. There's so many words for uh, mate choice, it's remarkable. You read species after species. They are always attracted to some and not attracted to others, and they have created all kinds of ornaments in order to attract a mate. But what happens in the mind of the viewer, the individual who looks at the peacock's tail, who's impressed by the red face of the wakari? There's got to be many mechanisms in the brain of the observer, mechanisms for observing these traits, mechanisms for appraising them and judging them, and also mechanisms for attracting to one individual rather than another. And those are what I am interested in. Basically, attraction, the motivation system in the brain that tells a peahen she likes this peacock rather than that one. It is this brain system, I think, that has evolved in almost all living creatures and that human beings have come to call human romantic love. I distinguish it from the other basic mating drives. The sex drive, W.H. Auden called it an intolerable neural itch. Uh, The poets from around the world have described all these in in tremendous detail. Uh, The second of these three brain system is attraction, uh, romantic love, obsessive love, being in love, infatuation. I think George Bernard Shaw, summed it up quite well when he called love the ability to overestimate the differences between one woman and another. (laughs) Attachment uh, is the third brain system that I think evolved for mating and reproduction. I think that all three brain systems, uh, uh, they're very complex brain systems, each one of them, but uh, uh, I think you can uh, boil it down to some primary um, uh, neurotransmitters and hormones involved with, with each. I think that they are basically different brain systems. I think the sex drive evolved to get you out there looking for a whole uh, range of partners. I think romantic love evolved to enable you to focus your mating energy on just one at a time. And I think that attachment evolved to enable you to tolerate this human being um, (laughs) at least (laughs) long enough to raise a single child together as a team. And I would guess that all three of these basic brain systems would have generated a tremendous amount of ornamentation and response to ornamentation that I would uh, I think are the very origins of the arts, so in studying romantic love, i um, will just point out a little bit of the art of it and then what it is, and then what we found in the brain and then, and then bring it back to art. Um, I first had to in understanding the brain system that i 'm most interested in is the attachment system op and um, and so I had to look around the world to make sure that this was a universal human experience. Uh, the world is littered with the artifacts, the artistic artifacts of human romantic love. Indeed, this is an example um, of, a, of a temple in, in Tikal, in the jungles of Guatemala. It was built by a man called Casa um, He was the grandest sun king of the grandest New World civilization, the Maya. He lived uh, into his eighties. He stood over six feet tall, and he's buried beneath this monument sometime around 720 A.D. And Mayan inscriptions proclaim that he was madly in love with his wife, so he built this temple. He built a temple in her honor, facing his. And every spring and autumn, exactly at the equinox, The sun rises behind his temple to perfectly bathe her temple in his shadow. And as the sun sets perfectly uh, behind her temple, it perfectly bathes his temple with her shadow. In this case, a man has expressed his love for a woman with architecture, math, and astronomy, the arts. Everywhere on earth, people love. They sing for love. They dance for love. They compose poems and stories about love. They tell myths and legends about love. We have love charms, love potions, and love magic. We pine for love. We live for love. We kill for love. And we die for love. It is one of the most powerful brain systems on Earth, and I think the origin of many of the arts. So I want to go through some of the basic characteristics of it, uh, and then what we found in the brain, and what this has to do with the arts. The first thing that happens when you fall in love is a person takes on what I call special meaning. As Emily Dickinson uh, summed it up, she said, the realm of you, then you focus on this person. Everything about them acquires power. The car they uh, drive is different from every car in the parking lot. (laughs) The street they live on is different from every other street in the universe. And in fact, everything that they touch has meaning for you. And this is a poem. by a, a ninth century poet called Wan Chen in China. to illustrate, He illustrated this point perfectly. It's called The Bamboo Mat. He said, I cannot bear to put away the bamboo sleeping mat. The night I brought you home, I watched you roll it out. You have intense energy when you're madly in love, as one man in the South Pacific wrote in a poem. I felt like jumping in the sky. Euphoria, mood swings, bodily reactions, Emotional dependence. Boy, the amount of poetry on that is staggering. The uh, uh, a very good one by um, Walt Whitman. One Walt Whitman. One line in which he says, "Oh, I would stake all for you." Uh, real frustration, attraction when you can't get this person, you just try harder. I think we're beginning to understand some of the brain uh, physiology of that. Um, intense possessiveness. You know, if you are sort of casually sleeping with somebody. You don't really care if they're sleeping with somebody else. But when you're madly in love, uh, you become intensely possessive of them. The three main characteristics of romantic love are real craving for emotional union. Yes, you'd like to go to bed with them. But what you really want to do is have them call, have them write, have them email, invite you out. Um, um, Intense motivation to win this person. What a human being will do to win a person is just staggering. And uh, I think perhaps the, most, uh, the single most powerful uh, part of romantic love is the obsessive thinking. There's somebody uh, camping in your head. I asked a lot of questions to these people before I put them in the MRI. But um, the most important question for me was, what percentage of the day and night do you think about your sweetheart? And they would say, I go to bed thinking about her. I wake up thinking about them. I never stop thinking about them. And in fact, those were the people that we would put in the machine. <laughs> These machines are expensive. <laughs> uh, I think another powerful characteristic of it is that it is involuntary and very difficult to control. As Stendhal once said, love is like a fever. It comes and goes quite independently of the will. And indeed it does. So having established some of these main characteristics, what I did is to sort of cull all the psychological literature of the last 40 years to find this um, host of traits, constellation of traits associated with romantic love I then did my own questionnaire study on 800 Americans and Japanese to make sure that I found these traits in two quite diverse populations, and then I organized a team uh, with Art Aaron uh, uh, from SUNY Stony Brook, social psychologist; Lucy Brown, a neuroscientist from Albert Einstein College of Medicine; and uh, Deb Mashak, uh, Greg Strong, two uh, graduate students at the time, and Hai Fang Li uh, ran our machine, our machine. And we began to put people in the MRI. (laughs) You can't get two people in an MRI machine, but this was the New Yorkers concept of our our work. We found a great many things, but um, uh, just to say, just a couple of them, we found activity, a tiny little factory near the base of the brain uh, called the ventral tegmental area, in particular cells called the A10 cells that actually make Uh, produce dopamine, and send dopamine to many brain regions, but primarily uh, to the reward system. The brain system for wanting, for focus, for motivation, for pleasure, for craving. In this case, the motivation to win life's greatest prize, uh, the appropriate mating partner. In fact, it's exactly the same region that becomes active when you feel the rush of cocaine. And here is one of our, um, our scans. And that led me to believe that uh, romantic love is really not an emotion. There's a lot of emotions involved in it. There's a lot of cognitive processes involved in it, but it's basically a drive, a basic mating drive. It has many of the characteristics of um, of of a, of a basic drive. The most interesting for me, I think, is the um, uh, the lack of facial expression. You know, when somebody's angry, uh, you can look at them and you, you their face tells you they are angry. Um, But you can't look at somebody and know whether they're hungry. You can't look at somebody and know whether they're thirsty. And you can't look at somebody and know that they are in love. And so, in fact, I think it's a very strong drive, much stronger uh, than the sex drive. You know, if you ask somebody to go to bed with you and they say, no, thank you, you don't kill yourself around the world, uh, uh, the uh, the staggering amount of uh, crimes of passion due to this basic mating drive. So having studied um, um, what happens in the brain when you're happily in love, I came to thinking what happens in the brain when you've been rejected in love. And in fact, I think that's a far more important experiment, largely because um, you're not a menace to society when you're madly in love and you're happily in love. Uh, People become a menace to themselves and to society at large when they've been rejected in love. And what we found in the brain was activity in many brain regions, just going very briefly. uh, You remain madly in love uh, when you've been rejected. If anything, you love the person more because barriers intensify the experience. Uh, We found uh, activity in some of the central uh, brain regions associated with craving, addiction, and risking, and also uh, activity in a brain region associated with deep attachment to this individual. That's a bad combination uh, of things. Uh, some of our brain scans. And I came to believe that love is an addiction, an exceedingly powerful addiction, a wonderful addiction when things are going well, and a perfectly horrible addiction when things are going poorly. And when I listen to the love songs uh, in Western culture, uh, read the poetry from around the world, um, look at the dramas, uh, 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 look at the dance, uh, most of the arts are about rejection and love, about lost love. And it may be because uh, you're driving dopamine up so high in the brain, and dopamine has been associated with, um, with creativity. And, of course, you're up all night, nice, so you've got to do something anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and so you are in this heightened state of anxiety. I would suspect that most of a great deal of the arts have been generated uh, from this experience. Um, We then did our most recent experiment. The leader on, the first author on this was um, Bianca Acevedo, a graduate student at the time. We wanted to find out um, uh, if it's true that you can sustain feelings of intense romantic love, not just attachment, not just loving, (coughs) but being in love uh, long term. So we put uh, 17 people who who reported that they were still in love after an average of 21 years of marriage into the machine And indeed, we found activity in the same brain part of the ventral tegmental area uh, that shows um, intensity when you have just fallen madly in love. So it's possible to do. Um, What's interesting is um, we found also activity in brain regions associated with attachment. And what we found that was totally new was activity in brain regions associated with calm and pain um, uh, suppression. came to believe that when you're in love long term, you still want, can't wait for the person to get home, can't wait to talk to the person, want to share your things with the person, want to be with the person. But that early anxiety and intensity is now replaced by calm. And I want to tell you, it's very difficult reading world poetry to find any poems written by people in this last uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, because you are asleep all night, and you're not in a state of anxiety uh, to do this. So um, I think that, um, that uh, here are two of our scans for, um, uh, about uh, romantic love and attachment. I think the um, drive to love uh, evolved. Uh, as I say, I think that all animals love, there's some wonderful descriptions by Darwin of, of, of other animals that love. He has a wonderful description uh, in The Origin of Species of, of, a, of a mallard duck who falls in love. And he uses the word, uh, fell in love with a, with a pintail duck. Well, it's a duck of a different species. We all make s- mistakes. That's one we ought not to make. Uh, um. And I think that um, this brain system among our ancestors probably didn't last very long. I, uh, it, it appears as if a rat will feel that, s- express that attraction for about 30 seconds. A fox will express it for about 20 days. An elephant will express it for about five days. And indeed, our, our ancestors will um, express it um, for a period of the months around estrus, but, but certainly not all month long. And they didn't have to. Uh, females. <laughs> um, needed, uh, didn't need a mate to help them rear their young. They carried their babies on their backs. Uh, they, li- uh, they lived in the trees where they were protected. But I do think that the beginning of romantic love and perhaps even the arts could have evolved by three and a half million years ago when our ancestors began to stand up on two feet, females began to have to carry their babies in their arms, and I think they began to need a mate to help them rear their young. And with this, I think we see the evolution. Uh, there's some indication already that uh, the evolution of pair bonding could have evolved by um, uh, o- more than three million years ago. And with the evolution of pair bonding, which is a remarkable thing, you know, 97% of mammals do not pair up to rear their young. Human beings do, and uh, I think with the evolution of pair bonding in 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 the in the human past, we evolved the evolution of. Um, uh, are our version of human romantic love, something that we see around the world today. Thank you very much.